So happy Father's Day. So good to see you. Um, so Genesis 19, right? This is uh, something that um, you may be a little bit uh, shocked by, right? There's no Father's Day sermon today. We're going to continue on. It, it, there is a Father's Day sermon, but it's not like four steps to be a better father. We'll find some steps to be a better father or what not to do. If you just read the scripture like we did, there's some things not to do, right? You've got some baseline, don't do that happy Father's Day sermon that the scripture already taught us. Uh, there's more to it, though, that uh, we need to discover, especially in a culture which is calling evil good and good evil. And therefore, our students, our kids, are ultra confused on what is right and what is wrong, uh, particularly because we may have uh, not parented in the way that we need to parent. So, yes, there is a bit of Father's Day and Mother's Day uh, type of a sermon in this, but ultimately we're going to let the scriptures speak for what they need to speak and follow it wherever it leads. We don't get to pick and choose as I uh, unpacked Genesis 19 last week for my wife. She was like, ooh, I don't know, Father's Day? Are you going to do that? I was like, well, is it, is it better to do it next week? I don't When do we do this? I don't know when it's convenient time to unpack the realities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So here we are. Um, and let me ask you a question. What city in the world would you... Um, equivocate to the, the, the modern-day uh, equivalent of Sodom and Gomorrah? What, what city in the world would you go, oh, it's this city that probably reminds God most of Sodom? Okay, people, people I like this. This is okay. Question and answer time. This is good. Las Vegas, the city of sin. Pasadena. Pasadena, <laughs> Pasadena Texas, I would imagine. Yes, okay. Well, it does stink a little like sulfur. Like something's burning in the atmosphere. If you're from Pasadena, we do apologize. That may be the most offensive thing that's said all day. Uh huh. All right. So, um, so we would probably think somewhere out there, some might think um, uh, it's Sin City. Some might think it's New York City, the city that never sleeps. Um, why not the city that is known for human trafficking? That would be your city. Uh-oh. This is going to come a little closer, isn't it? All right, cool. What house in your neighborhood is known as the city of Sodom? Have you figured that one out? Is it yours? Oh, we don't like the sermon already. Okay. No more question answer time. What happened to that? Here's my point in doing that little exercise. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah is a lot easier to stomach when we think it's out there somewhere. It's a lot more difficult to stomach when we start to realize it's probably my house. Actually, more than I'd like to admit, it's probably my house. And so, um, but Genesis 19 will not do the work the Spirit has intended to do it if we, if we still think it's Stinkadina or the city of sin or the Big Apple or someone else's home, okay? Uh, instead, there's something far greater to be had if we will start to understand that Genesis 19 has more to apply to us than we ever might have thought. So to get us to understand that, we need to dig into the text. There's going to be heavy explanation today and a little bit of application today. Sometimes we do heavy application and a little explanation, but today's heavy explanation 
and a little application. So bear with me. So what do we need to do? My hope, surely my prayer as we've, um, as I've prepared for today is to look at this old familiar story. We, we probably grew up with some understanding of Sodom and Gomorrah, but I think we need to rediscover it with fresh perspective, fresh eyes, and get some clarity first around why Sodom was judged. Second, understand how we fit into this, into this story. And then third, we need to hear the gospel. The gospel is loud and clear in Sodom. It is loud and clear in Genesis 19. And so as we unpack Genesis 19, the gospel is in Sodom. So first, let's discover why it is that God uh, rained down fire and sulfur uh, from heaven onto a whole region on the earth in a, in a particular time and it's a particular place. Well, let's first discover again Sodom's sin. That's where we're going first. What is the sin of Sodom? It's helpful for us to understand this because we might want to understand why it is that God rained down fire and sulfur in history so that we might avoid that. Yeah? You would want to avoid the sin of Sodom so that we can avoid the judgment of Sodom. It's very important that we understand then what's going on. So it cannot be assumed why it is that God judged these people. It is far more layered than we may think. And so therefore, we have to look at the scriptures to help us understand what it is that God has truly said. Not what we think it said, but what it is that he said. So let's listen to the angels. If we hear the cry that God heard in that day. So Genesis 19, 13, if you've got your Bible, again, we're not going to put this up on the screen, but we want you to have it in the scriptures before you, and I'll read it so that you can hear it if you don't have a scripture, right? Uh, Genesis 19, 13 says this, for we, this is the angels that are there sent, remember, um, the angels and the Lord have just visited with Abraham in Genesis 18. The Lord then goes up back up to heaven, leaves his angels here after they leave Abraham's tent, and they're on the way to Sodom to destroy it because there's this, being this great sin that has gone up before heaven. Genesis 19:13 says, For we are about to destroy this place, talking to Lot, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. This isn't anything new. Back 25 years prior to this event, in Genesis 13, 13, it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. For 25 years, this has been known as their reputation. Even when Lot first chose to live in Sodom, that's the commentary about the wickedness of Sodom. It continues on, right, all throughout Genesis 18 and now 19. 25 years have gone by. And if you, if you think that there's been um, some hasty judgment by God, think about this. 25 years have gone by, and God has had a heart that is broken over the sin of Sodom. It's not anything new. It's something that's gone on. And so we may have to understand what is this wickedness that has had a great cry to the Lord over 25 years. What is that great wickedness specifically? Well, it can be found in Genesis 19, 4 through 7. And it's really around this phrase, that we may know them. That we, the people of Sodom, everyone is gathered, um, uh, every man is gathered around Lot's house, it says, to, to bang on the door, to plead with Lot, to let out those visitors that we may know them. 
Hmm. That we may know them. There's three textual um, uh, understandings here of what, what we, that we may know them mean. And what you are likely to lean towards um, has a lot to do with what you're good at or bad at as far as sin is concerned. And I'll unpack that in just a minute. So the first option, I'll just unpack them really quickly. The first option is that they were, um, that the sin, the wickedness that, that went up to the heavens is that they were inhospitable. They, they, just, they chose to not show hospitality, especially in regards to how Abraham did it, right? The second one would be, and this is where I need to be really careful because the commentaries are not as careful as maybe a pastor needs to be. But the second one um, is homosexual, communal, non-consensual sex. That's all one thing. And then the other thing uh, is simple homosexual activity. We need to unpack all three of those, right? So, so here's where we're going to start to land. Like, what does to know them mean? Well, first, understanding of to know them means is that they're just, they're just not being hospitable here, right? Um, so the men of Sodom are outside the doors, and they're knocking on the door, and they say, hey, you have taken these men into your home, and we want to befriend them. We want to know them. We want to show our hospitality. You're offending us, Lot, by not allowing us to show our hospitality to them. That's one way that historically some people have interpreted this scripture. I will tell you, and this is a little bit of a preview of why I'm telling you all this. The LGBTQ community is going to lean heavily on this, tra on this translation, on this understanding. That they were just inhospitable. It has nothing to do with their sexual preference, with their sexual activity. It has nothing to do with that. Instead, it's really only their inhospitality. We read this last week. I actually previewed this last week from Ezekiel. And I'll read the passage that I read last week. Ezekiel chapter 16. Verse 49 and 50 should be on the screen. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. Ezekiel is preaching then to Israel. She and her daughters had pride. What month are we in? She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did, and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw that pride and that arrogance. Okay, it's true. Part of the reason why Sodom was judged was because of their pride and their inhospitality in that city. That's absolutely true, but... It's not the only reason. Okay, so if we didn't have the New Testament, we probably would just stick with, okay, well, Ezekiel has told us why they got judged. Yeah, there's more to it than that. So we keep reading in the Bible, and we would go to a, an obscure passage that maybe you haven't read in a while in the book of Jude. Jude has one chapter. Um, so Jude 1, verse 7, gives us a fuller picture. When Jude 7 says this, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities indulged in sexual immorality. Okay, so the wickedness isn't just that they were inhospitable, but there's something else here, a sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Okay, what is that all about? And they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. If we read another passage in Romans 1, what we would find is that God gives up people um, to their own preferences as a form of judgment. 
If you've been a part of our church, I actually preached on this extensively back in August when I came out of sabbatical and we preached on um, a series called Christ and Controversy. And I did a whole 44 minutes and like 51 seconds on human sexuality. And if you want more on that, I would, I would advise you to go to like part one of this sermon, basically. More commentary around sexuality, for sure, than what I'm able to give there. But look, unnatural desire. It was in that sermon that I read Romans 1, where we understand that God gave people up to um, exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they gave away their natural relations between men and women and exchanged them for unnatural ones. Whereas, as if to say, now... Uh, men do unnatural things with other men. You catching this? It was a form of judgment. We cannot say from beginning to end, we can never say that homosexuality is not a sin. Okay, We're, we, we have to be clear from Genesis all the way through to the end, homosexuality is clearly a sin. We cannot pick and choose and go, oh, well, do you also cut your beard out of Leviticus? Do you also eat shrimp? I'm just telling you, the Bible will be used against you if you don't have a better understanding or a good understanding of what goes on from beginning to end. It is sinful, and we must be clear about what the Bible says. So it's not just in hospitality. There's something sexually immoral going on where someone, where the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are pursuing unnatural desires with one another. And again, Romans 1 gives commentary that it's homosexual relationships. So that's number one. Now here's the deal. I don't know if you've been around um, any LGBTQ uh, people, but they're very hospitable. For the most part, they're really good at being hospitable into their home, um, into, their, into, their, into a conversation with them. So this is something uh, that they're very good at, being hospitable, and therefore they can stand on a form of righteousness and go, see there, we're not that. We're not inhospitable, inhospitable like the people of Sodom. But we have to go further, don't we? The second understanding of this, again, I'll be careful, homosexual, communal, and non-consensual acts. To know here, in this view, goes beyond friendship, obviously, and is used for sexual relations. You see this throughout the scriptures, that to know does mean sexual relationships, that they knew one another. So then Sodom, in this view, would deserve judgment only, and I, I emphasize the word only, for the worst kind of sexual morality. Again, communal, non-consensual, homosexual acts. And so again, the homosexual community or the LGBTQ community can look at this and go, well, we're hospitable and we don't do that. I mean, it's not communal, it's not uh, non-consensual. What we would plead for for them is uh, monogamous homosexual relationships. And so therefore, uh, why can't we just live in peace? And you should be our advocate in these things. Okay, that's fine, but if that's actually not what this means with regards to no, and I want to unpack this just for a moment. Some of you, I know this is like super deep, but I got to go there. We got to be clear. If we think that to know here means communal, non-consensual, homosexual acts, then what this would read is like this, verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 5, and they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them, that we may homosexually, non-consensually, communally have sex with them. Now that's one way to understand it, but you have to keep reading 
here to understand what's going on in the text. That would then also mean that when Lot says, don't do that, instead, know my virgin daughters, in verse 8, he then would be having to say this. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Behold, I have two daughters that have not homosexually, non-consensually, communally any man. That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit with what the, a consistent way to interpret the text. And so what you have to do then is help us understand a little bit further that to know doesn't mean communally, non-consensually, homosexual acts. It simply just means homosexual acts. And we get that because of the way Lot uses the same word. Instead, what he is saying, don't do this great wickedness, this great homosexual act. Instead, I have two heterosexual offerings for you, my own virgin daughters. That's the contention here that Lot is making for the people of Sodom, not a communal thing, but a homosexual versus heterosexual um, reality. Now, you're sitting there going, okay, if I'm Lot in this moment, I'm, that's not the first thing I'm doing. There's no way to explain what Lot does in this passage. Zero. There is no like, oh, well, Lot must be really close with the Lord here. He's doing something we may not understand. There's no way to excuse what Lot is up to. There's not one commentary out there that I've read that gives me sort of, some sort of a hope based on what Lot did in this reality of, I have now two daughters. Why don't you take them? I have two daughters. I'm not offering them up to a crazy mob outside my house. Not happening. And yet Lot does. So what we have to understand here, why am I spending a lot, a good portion of the sermon here understanding what this is? Because if we're not clear on why Sodom was judged, we'll just throw our lot into whatever's popular. And right now, the popular understanding of what happened in Sodom in this, you know, antiquated old document that we just need to update over time, but I'm not going to trust it because you updated it. Which one is it? You want us to update it or you don't trust it because you updated it? So this old antiquated document still holds true that actually it was way worse back then than it is today. It's not antiquated at all. The culture in which this was written was, was awful. And it still stands true that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, because of inhospitality. Yes, because of communal, non-consensual, homosexual acts. And yes, because of just simple sexual immorality as it was played out in those times the exchanging of natural relations for unnatural ones. All of it is true. It's not just one or the other. It's absolutely all of it. So why am I spending so much time? Number one, the LGBT community is going to use their Bible in ways that you're not prepared for. You need to understand. They're going to read Genesis 19 and go, that's non-hospitality. That has nothing to do with us because of Ezekiel. Okay, you need to understand that it's in the full scripture, full understanding of scripture, it's both. Secondly, our children, especially our teenage daughters, now listen to me, students. Our children, especially our teenage daughters, are being bombarded with an understanding of sexuality that goes absolutely against our scriptures, against what God wants for them. Matter of fact, 
it has become some sort of rite of passage to question your sexuality somewhere in your, your, your prepubescent uh, puberty age to where all of a sudden it's like, well, how do you know if you're not gay? If you don't try it. You know what? I know that I don't like oysters because I don't like to eat snot. That's how. That's it. Like, I just know that that's not something that I want to try. So there's a part of you that should, should be trusting how God has created you. And yet at the same time, if you do have a desire for that, then you can't trust that because the heart is deceptive above all things. And so we have to go through the scriptures to help us understand how do we navigate our emotions? How do we navigate this peer pressure that if I don't affirm you, then I'm going to be kicked out of some of my best friend's circle of influence? Friends, you will. That's okay. We have to be okay with what the scriptures are saying here. Throughout all of scripture, we stand for the Lord and his purposes, not in a way that's judgmental, that's actually in a way that's lamenting. Like, I don't know about you, but my kids, when I go look on their phones, I'm like, they're just being bombarded. They're being bombarded through text messages. They don't have TikTok. Well, you know what their friends do? And they just record that TikTok and they send it through text. Well, I don't have uh, Instagram. I don't have, I don't, my kids don't, are on social media. Well, you know what? They're going to find a way. Their kids, their friends are going to find a way to share whatever it is that they think is funny or entertaining with your kid. And you'd better be ready. Even if it's as simple as letting your kid go on YouTube for an hour. Shocked to find in my own discovery, of ads on YouTube that are absolutely targeted at young females and males. Here's a quiz to figure out if you're gay. Here's some news and some wisdom for all of us that are navigating this. If you have to take a quiz to figure out if you're gay, guess what? You're probably not. Instead, someone created a quiz to get you to think that you might be gay and therefore might be pursuing a lifestyle that they're going to profit off of. So we have to be very discerning. It's not a quiz to figure out if you're homosexual. It's a quiz to figure out if you're a fool. I'm not trying to be mean, but we got to, have, we got to gain some wisdom here in how we're parenting dads and moms. Father's Day, you want your Father's Day sermon? How about we get some wisdom here? We can't just let our kids just spool out on their own on the internet. Are you, like, that's, you can't, you're not going to drop your, Amen. I feel you. You're not going to drop your kid off in, in, in Las Vegas by themselves and go, all right, we'll figure it out. That would be the equivalent of just letting your kids spool out on the internet all by yourself. All right. We've got to be clear, though, don't we? Better yet, let's let God be clear. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. We're not even through first uh, point one, y'all. First Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11 say this, Or do you not know that the, unrighteousness will, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The who? Even if you say it through a yawn, it's unrighteous. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, well, who are the unrighteous? And he says, Paul says, do not be deceived. A.K.A., don't think you're right on this or wrong on this. Stand on God's word on who the unrighteous are, who the, who's going to get in and who's not going to get in. Do not be deceived, then, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, 
It says, then, nor men who practice homosexuality. It's a very terrible translation in the ESV. If you look, there's a footnote in the ESV. If you looked at your Bible, or it's probably, you're not even looking at your Bible, it's fine. It's up here. Uh, there's a footnote there in your Bible that says the two Greek terms translated by this phrase refer to the passive and active partners in consensual homosexual acts. That's in your Bible. A.K.A. the passive and the active partners in consensual homosexual acts. That's what men who practice homosexuality actually says in the Greek. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers nor will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, what is very clear in Old and New Testament is that homosexuality still deserves judgment. We need to hear that. Now, before we go and amen that, and before we go, man, I just love going to church that preaches the truth. Let's go to the second point. And you know what the second point is? We're all just like Lot. Remember, like, we, he just did some things with his daughters. You're like, what? How dare you call me Lot? Man, we're just like Lot. Let's just understand that. Why it's important to know that this is all above, it's all the above reasons in why Sodom is judged is because we have to see the rest of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, not just the part that we go, oh, well, there it says. It says men who practice homosexuality, they're out. Hmm. The sexual immoral. Ever committed a sexual sin? Ever committed, uh, oh, I don't know, lust? Don't raise your hand. We have a full room full of people raising their hand. You ever, you, ever, you ever committed lust? Uh-oh, here we go. All right. Idolaters, you ever found yourself worshiping money or sex or achievement or control or power or approval? Oh, the adulterers are in there. Have you ever found yourself wanting to have another man or another woman outside of your marriage? Or worse, you've committed sexual acts with someone outside of your marriage? And you go, no, I'm good. Okay, well, the next one is kind of interesting. Thieves, ever stolen anything? Some of y'all downloaded some things. Back in the day when Napster was a thing, you know. Have you ever been greedy? Have you ever coveted something? I don't know, say like on Zillow or H-A-R. Or recently, lately, my search history is like, ooh, what does an electronic vehicle cost? I want an EV. I've never wanted an EV in my life. But at $5 a gallon, I want one. California prices. How about the drunkards? You ever drank too much? Revilers, you ever insulted another person on purpose? I have, probably this week. Swindlers, you ever manipulated someone into giving you something you wanted? Oh, man, y'all seven- and eight-year-olds are good at that. I don't know about that, but my kids are good at that one, man. My kid comes home every time with something new. He goes to her friend's house. I don't know, they gave it to me. Wait a minute, when you say he gave it to you, did you ask for it? Yeah, I asked for it. Are you, you swindler? Guess what? Why do I read that? This isn't a them thing. This is an us thing. Greedy, thieves, swindling, all that that involves, that's us too. So we can never, the proper posture of a Christian towards homosexuality can never be you, how dare you? It's 
got to be, man, we're all in this together, and we all have a deep need for grace. No matter what our, 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 our 31 flavors of sin is, pick one, it's still sin. You can never stand in judgment of another. Instead, we weep with those who have been deceived by the enemy to base their identity on their sexual preference and pleasure. Just as you and I once based our identity in thievery, in escaping the hardships of reality by drinking too much, doing too many drugs, or working too much, that was once our reality. But the Bible says that was once who you were. Such were some of you. But you were washed, if we would believe. We are just like Lot. And you might ask yourself, well, what do you mean? If you go back over to Genesis 19, it says this in verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife, your two daughters, who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men, of, uh, men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city. His heart for the pleasures of Sodom had overcome his desire for righteousness, and he lingered. He no longer wanted to leave that city of sin. He lingered. Can you imagine being in a place where there is ultimate judgment coming at any moment, and the angels are there. You now figured out who they are, and they go, hey, man, you got to go right now. And he goes, do I really have to go right now? Still some things I need to pack up. My goodness. We're just like him. How do I know? By asking this question. How's your desire for righteousness? Have you been slowly lulled to sleep by the allure of the pleasure of comfort and peace? So I don't have time to preach on this because I've taken too much time already, but I will say this one thing. You see, the saddest part of Lot's compromise is it trickled down to his whole family. If you look at his wife, she looks back, she gets caught up behind him. If you look at the text, they're off running away, right? And, and Lot's wife is behind them somewhere. I used to think that they were just like right in line, like they were all just steady out, going on with their little backpacks, heading out on their little their thing. But it's clear that she was far behind, and she, gets, she looks back at the city of Sodom, which was a direct disobedience to what the angels had told her, and she gets enveloped by a cloud of sulfur and fire and gets memorial, memorialized as this kind of uh, symbol of disobedience. And you might think to yourself, a pillar of salt, that's ridiculous. But they're near the Dead Sea where the salt levels are super high. And apparently, Jesus thought this was a real story because he says, remember Lot's wife. He absolutely helps us see that this is a real thing. If you did any sort of discovery on Pompeii, you would realize this is an actual thing that could happen. That you get caught up in ashes immediately and you get solidified to where you look like a statue. Just like they did with Pompeii. Again, this is the saddest part is that it trickled down to his family, not just to his wife, but also to his daughters when they take sexual perversion to the next level as we finish this. So I want to echo for our dads and, and for our moms. I want to echo what John Wesley said. John Wesley said this, what one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. What you tolerate for your spiritual rhythms 
your, the next generation, your kids, will embrace it. So you don't come to a gathering every now and again. You do this, that, or the other. And we have to watch this in our own family with the rhythms of softball and baseball. We tolerate, in my generation, me, this is something that my, the, the previous generation would have never tolerated. Oh, you ain't playing on a Sunday. That's the Lord's Day. And yet, this is again, for me, we let our daughter go play softball every once in a while on a Sunday morning. I've tolerated it. If I'm not careful, she'll parent her kids in an embracing way to where church would just be an afterthought. That would be something that you just do when you're on the kayak in the middle of nowhere and just, I just connect with the Lord in nature. Y'all hear this, do you not? You probably said it once or twice. What one generation, uh, what is it? Oh gosh, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Lot lingered in the city, and so do our hearts linger around sin. The small of being inhospitable or the big sins, such as sexual perversions. Lot's desire uh, to just go along in a wicked city proves to be a mirror for us that we have riches of time and treasure, and we busy ourselves so that we don't have to see the needs around us. And so I would just ask, what about your Christian walk or your kids going to celebrate because you have embraced it, have tolerated it? What good or bad habits will your kids embrace? Because we, like Lot, and we wonder, though, don't we, what is it that so um, dignified salvation in Sodom? What is it that earned their salvation in Sodom? And this is where the gospel in Sodom will take root. This is my last point. I hope to be done in just a few moments. We see the gospel in these details. Genesis 19, 16. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand. And the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside the city. We too are people that need God's mercy. We need God's intervention to take us away from sin, our preference for just getting a little bit more sin before we come to Jesus. And we need someone else to stand in our place. Most commentaries will agree that verse 29 is the crux of the entire passage. Verse 29 says this. So it was then, or so it was that, when God destroyed the cities of the valley... God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham? Wasn't it Abraham in the previous chapter that was pleading with God? Wasn't it Abraham who was credited as righteous back in Genesis 15 verse 6? God remembers his covenant with Abraham in the same way that God remembers his covenant with Jesus to forgive you. Peter calls Lot righteous in 2 Peter 2.7. Is there anything that we read about Lot that you would think, well, there's a righteous man. If there's ever anybody I'm going to go and trust my children with, it's Lot. No, no, there's nothing that we read about Lot that we go, here's a righteous man. Why was he counted as righteous? Because God remembered his covenant with another. Why then, friends, are you counted as righteous? It is because God remembered his covenant with another. It wasn't because of you. You, friends, if you are in the family of God, are also called righteous. 
Isn't that good news? It's good news that you, friend, would be called righteous, even though that we're just like Lot. We, we linger in the city of sin that we've made up our home in. But God looks at us and goes, oh, man, there's my boy. There's my girl. She's righteous. Why? Because God remembered the works of another, and his name was Jesus. You see, Genesis 19 reminds us not just of the terrible thing that happened in Sodom, but the awful thing that happened with sin. And that is, it was transferred upon the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb, Jesus, so that we would no longer be stained with that sin. Just like Lot, he was rescued not because of a righteousness of his own, but because of the righteousness of another. Salvation, friends, has always been by grace, earned by someone more righteous than yourself, and given away freely and by God's mercy in Sodom and in your own life. So what do we do with this fiery judgment of Sodom. I think it invites us to do a couple of different things. Number one, consider your own sin before God and remember that you were only shown mercy because of God's perfect son, Jesus, and his righteousness, not your own. The kingdom is never earned. It is given by grace to those who do not deserve it so that you can then invite others by grace into the kingdom. Consider your sin before our God. Secondly, like Abraham, plead with God to grant boldness. This is where my prayer has been for you. That you would not run away from the homosexual community. That none of us in this room would be people that would be labeled homophobes. But that we would enter into a space where we invite our homosexual friends and acquaintances and all those in the LGBTQ community and that we would truly be the better ally for them. You guys know that being an ally right now is like all the rage in your friends' uh, circles or in your circles, on your social media. There's even little, little spotlights for I'm an ally. Friends, be an ally, but be a better ally than what so the... Uh, social world uh, would require of us. Here's what they define as an ally. Someone who stands up for, supports, and encourages the people around them. That's just the basic understanding of what they would define as ally. Friends, I would say that you become an ally by boldly sharing the only true hope that any person has, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, and that is to find your identity not in anything else besides Jesus who died for you. And when we find our identity in that, we would actually do what Jesus said to do. And that is, stop sinning and follow me. What he says to the adulterous woman, I would say he's doing the same thing for all of us. That's number two, that we would invite them to follow Jesus in all of life. And then third, God has warned us of the impending judgment of Sodom. And if you're a non-believer in this place, if you're a non-believer that you're listening to this online later, whatever it may be, friends, if you're a believer in this place, do not linger. Do not dabble with the sin that are, is so easily presented before us. It could be as, as, again, as big as homosexual sin or as small as inhospitality. Wherever you lay on that spectrum, do not linger anymore. 
Instead, Jesus is pleading with you to repent of your sin, to believe in the good news that Jesus has taken the fiery judgment on your behalf. And you too can be rescued from that city of sin. You too can be taken by the hand just like Lot and mercifully be set outside the city out of the kingdom of sin and placed into a new city of righteousness and of grace. If only, if only, friends, you would believe him. Not just believe in him that he existed one day, that you would believe that what he says is true. That he is who he said he is and he came to do what he said to come to do. And that is to seek and save the lost. That is to rescue all who love the darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of his wonderful son. And that is to remove all shame, all guilt, all fear with his perfect love, which he demonstrated for you on the cross when he died for sinners, for rebels, for homosexuals, for heterosexuals, for thieves, for adulterers, for swindlers, for coveters, for idolaters, for you. It's the only way we're going to find hope and peace in the midst of such chaos. Because I don't know about you, but the generation before us must have tolerated a whole lot. Because we're embracing a ton. What will the next generation celebrate? It might be up to us as the church to steady the ship, if nothing else, not for culture around us, but for this culture, for us. For this church, for the church that's being birthed out of here, Koinonia Church, and any other churches that get birthed out of those churches, Lord, help us to continue to hold steadfast when there's immeasurable pressure to just abandon this because it's inconvenient. And I'm not just talking about sexuality. I'm talking about just a desire for holiness and righteousness in all things. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We need your help. We're grateful you haven't abandoned us. We're grateful that you saw the sin of Sodom and you judged it because it's a true hope and a true picture that you will not leave this world fledgling in injustice and unrighteousness forever. You will come. You will set things right. And as inconvenient and terrible as that may be some days, Lord, give us the courage to put your word to the center of all the things that we need. Holy Spirit, give us the courage to trust you when we don't know which way to go, when we don't know how to, how to make heads or tails, when our kids are stuck in a situation at school in this next school year or this summer or wherever it may be, when they're at, in, the, in the drama club or at band or at softball or at basketball or at volleyball or at cheerleading or at baseball or at football or at, ba or at basketball, but whatever it is, Lord, wherever our kids are headed into in this next year, you know, would you go before them and would you preach the message today to us and to our children that we shall not linger in Sodom, but that we shall by God's mercy be transferred because of grace. May we live as people that don't tolerate. We, we, would, we would absolutely instead weep with the sin of our city. And we would plead with those residents here to follow Jesus. Lord, you're our only hope. Would you help us in these things? In Jesus' name, amen.